Um, uh, I need one of our teen young ladies to find 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, and then 3 and 4. 15, uh, yes, Alexandra. And then I need one of our young men to find Acts chapter 20, verse 21. Brother Ben, good job. And we will get to those in just a little bit. Um, when I was praying, thinking about this, Jesus told the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that, that referred to the priority of their life and, and then enabling them and teaching them how. But there's also a part of that where they had to want to become that. They, they had to want to improve in that. They had to want to develop the ability to do that and to be able to communicate those things, to be able to represent those things to be able to persuade men and women, to be able to have a conversation. When, when you improve at something, it, most of the time, it's because you want to improve at it. Now, there are some people with natural bents and natural personalities and natural skill sets that they are, they are able to kind of do things that, that are other people might be a little more or a little less comfortable doing. You say certain things just come, you would say this way, they come more naturally to someone. And, and you can think of things that maybe come more naturally to you or more naturally to other people. And, and that's fine. But we all have the ability to become better at being witnesses for Jesus Christ. And one of the mistakes that God's people make is that we relegate witnessing or being an effective witness to a personality or to a position. Like, well, that person is effective at this because God gave them a personality or an ability that he didn't give me. But being a witness has nothing to do with your personality. It has to do with your obedience. Jesus didn't say, all you who are outgoing, go ye into all the world. He said, go ye into all the world. Being a good witness isn't relegated to a position. He did not say pastors or staff members or people who've been through a Bible college, you go into all the world. He said, go ye into all the world. And so I just as a reminder, this isn't a part of this lesson. This is just a mindset we need to have that we, we are obligated to be witnesses. And if we're going to become witnesses, it requires uh, good witnesses for him. It requires more than just sitting in a service, whether at home or here, and being willing to go through a book, it requires us to put forth the effort. And we're transitioning into the sections now where we really start dealing with the, the practical aspects of this. Uh, tonight, we're going we're gonna to get into an issue, and, and we're not getting very far in the lesson if you're just going by the bullet points, because there's a specific issue that I want to deal with that I know can be confusing to some people, controversial to some and so we'll, we'll deal with that tonight in, in really just a mindset about the, the deep simplicity of the gospel, if I can say it that way. It is both incredibly deep and very simple. And we don't need to complicate it, and we don't need to make it shallow. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. If you, if you read the chapter, um, Brother Chapel was witnessing to a man. He knocked on the door, and the guy was around back. And so he goes around back, and the guy's out in his garden I love this. Do you remember what he was eating? Onions. Like just 
I would love to try that right now, to say, who wants to come up and have an onion eating with me right now? No, not teen boys. Obviously, you would. And so he, he starts talking to this guy. Well, the, the, guy, the guy offers him an onion. And, and I love just how Brother Chapel shared that what was going through his mind. Look, I'm not, I'm not here. Number one, I don't want to eat a raw onion. But, but number two, I'm not here to eat onions. But he took the onion, started eating it. And, just, and really developed a connection and helped to bring the barriers down. And they started having this conversation, and, which eventually opened the door to the gospel being shared. And the, man's name, the man named Carl eventually called on Jesus Christ to be his savior and became a faithful member there at the church. Now, here's, here's the danger. The, the gospel is not us going out and doing good in the community. It's not us going out and being good neighbors. The gospel should produce us being good neighbors, but a lot, of, a lot of Christians fall into this trap, and I hear this so much in people wanting to do quote-unquote missions work. It's all about community service, and that is not the gospel. And, and now, the way that it was utilized here is exactly how it should be. And, and you say, well, Jesus did community improvement. True statement. I'm not saying we knock community improvement because Jesus was all about improving people's lives. He did that. He just understood that temporary improvements are not as important as eternal relationship. And so he used community, he used involvement to give a presentation of the gospel. Now, we've got to avoid two things. Number one, we've got to avoid doing social, doing social good and calling it giving people the gospel. We are deceiving ourselves. And there's a whole lot of missions work that I'm not a part of and that I'm not going to lead this church in being a part of that are, that are, that are focused exclusively on, well, we help people have clean water and we help people do this and all those things. I'm fine with those things, but if we're going to attach the name of Jesus Christ to it, it better involve confronting people with the gospel. And there's a whole lot of organizations that are doing good, but they're not, that doesn't result in giving the gospel. It must. And, and so we can't call doing good giving the gospel. And, and sometimes, here's the truth, we settle for eating onions with people without actually ever getting around to presenting them with a clear presentation of who Jesus Christ is. Now, the, Again, it's the, the statement I've become fond of making. Don't hear what I didn't say. I didn't say you shouldn't hang out and eat onions with people. <laughs> I mean, look, if, if I can talk to someone, don't test this, please. But if someone will let me sit down at their table and talk to them, I'll try a whole lot of kind of food. Because I, I want to talk to them. Here's, here's what I can't fall short of, though. I can't sit down and be willing to eat their food and then say, well, I did enough. No, I have to at some point getting around, and I'm not even telling you it has to be in that initial conversation, but you better have it on your radar is the point. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. Go ahead and turn there if you're, unless you have it there in your book. 2 Corinthians 5.20, I, I want everybody to get this. When you're there, say Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.20, now then, what's the pronoun? We, 
Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. Get this statement. We pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. This is what he's saying. That we, are, we, are, we have been placed by Jesus in his position to bring you into reconciliation with God. Not that we save people, but we're in his place communicating his message that he came to accomplish through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We are in his place on this earth doing the work that he started. We are ambassadors for Christ. They, look, you know how um, you, have, you have job fairs? It's like you pick, kinda, you pick your major in college, that sort of thing. You don't get to pick whether or not you're an ambassador. He enlisted you. You accepted him, then he enlisted you. And that's something worth being an ambassador for. Listen, we're talking about really good news, people. God is and he loves you is good news on any day to anyone of any social status, any nation, any political party. That's good news. You may not like it. It's still good news. Amen. All right, so... The point, your first blank there in the lesson, sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. Man, I love being married. <laughs> Brothers, do y'all love being married? You know, what's, you know what's funny is that I love being married, but I don't always understand what's going on. <laughs> No, I'm increasing in that. Oh, y'all got quiet on me now, huh? All right, I see how it is. Leave me up here hanging by myself. Man, I love being married. I just, my man radar isn't picking up all the bogeys coming in. <laughs> is that a bad illustration? I don't know. It's, just, it's completely off the cuff right now. You say, I, I, I love being married, but loving it, and loving the person that I'm married to, loving the woman that I'm married to, isn't the same as understanding the woman that I'm married to. True. It's not the same as understanding the man that you're married to, ladies. And so before we can share the gospel, we've got to make sure we understand it. Understand what we're talking about. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 and verse 3 and 4. So what is, the, what is the gospel? That. The gospel, the, the testimony of Jesus Christ, the gospel is the substitutionary death of the sinless son of God who died in our place, who was not forced to die but laid his life down and then miraculously by the power of God rose again conquering sin, death, and hell for anyone who believes in him. That is the gospel. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, I, I don't understand what the gospel is. It is that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died and bore everyone's sin when he died, and then he was in that tomb for three days, rose again, and is victorious over sin, over death, 
over God's judgment because he bore God's judgment in his own body in our place. That is, that is the gospel. So tonight we're going to focus on this. Uh, number one under letter A, avoiding the extremes. Avoiding the extremes. Isn't it interesting in politics that people jump to extremes? Have you noticed that? <laughs> and there is this, there is this bent, um, social networking feeds this, people's desire for drama feeds this, but, but we have a tendency to jump one side or the other, and tonight you all have a bent, you have a bent one way or the other. And I want to remind you of something my pastor says, be aware or beware of the ditch on the other side of the road. Oftentimes, we're only aware of one ditch. And it's like, I got to stay out of that ditch. But in our urgency to stay out of that ditch, we end up in another ditch because there is a ditch on the other side of the road. And when it comes to understanding the gospel and then sharing the gospel, there are two extremes that are brought out in this book, and, I'm, and that's the last blank you're going to fill out for tonight. I'm going to spend the rest of the time dealing with these two extremes. Feel free to take notes or write other thoughts down. If you have something you want to discuss with me, that is fine. Here's the tendency, two tendencies. Tendency number one is that people complicate the gospel. We, we front load it, as the book says, with complicated terminology. Let me give you an example, atonement justification. Those are wonderful words, aren't they? But you don't automatically know what those words mean. Um, Acts 16.31, I'll conclude the lesson tonight with Acts 16.31. Sirs, a man's about to kill himself. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, you need to understand the substitutionary death and atonement and justification. That's not what he said. And if you're honest, most of the time, you understand what those terms mean and their significance to your salvation after you got saved. Many times, not before you got saved. We use, we use these terms, and, and, and there's this fascination in our culture with trying to prove that I'm smarter than the next guy, and because I went to this school, I know more than you, or because I went to school, I know more than you, or we just want to impress people and we want to wow people, when if God didn't make it complicated, we shouldn't try to make it complicated. That, that, does not, that doesn't mean we'll get to this as well. It doesn't mean we don't understand the depths of it. It doesn't mean we don't grow and increase in our knowledge of it. But you don't expect a baby to know life. You know what you're doing? You're just trying to get them to survive. And then when they're teenagers, you're really trying to get them to survive. They just make it to responsible adulthood. <laughs> So with people who know nothing of God, to come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's sometimes we can, we can make it more complicated than it, than it needs to be. In addition to the terminology, wait, let me go back to that. Um, the, the missionary letter tonight, to both the man who was saved and the lady they're praying for to get saved, they both, they both had something in common. Are you ready? They are having meetings with the missionary. So you know what that allows for? It allows for more conversation. It allows for more explanation. And you, and you explain it. And you make sure it, but there is a process to that. It's not, it's not just, 
here are all of these big words. Now you get saved and chew this over in five minutes. We're talking about hours and weeks and days on top of days that they're meeting with these people. Number two, we add extra biblical requirements. Uh, what would be one of the more popular ones that you've heard me mention before? Um, it's one of the ordinances that the Lord left with us. Brother Nate, baptism. Okay? Um, uh, the, the charismatic movement is big on this, um, that you have to have some kind of extra spiritual experience um, when you get placed in the water. I was attending, or sorry, yes, I was attending. I was attending the funeral of a young man, a teenager who had committed suicide in Louisiana, and uh, it, the, the circumstances around it were murky. It was just, it was an awful situation and really hard. And there, his, some of his family was a member at our church. I didn't have access to the services. And so the, the pastor of this very large, non-denominational, charismatic-leaning church stood up there and said this statement. And I'm, I'm, watching, I'm watching a room filled with broken, devastated people who are searching for hope. And this was his statement. I know this young man is in heaven because I saw him get baptized and that is not why you are saved. Look, I'm not saying he was or he is or he isn't. That's not the point. If he is, it's not because of that. And it's not because he mumbled some kind of words that nobody else can understand. And we call it speaking in tongues, which that's not what biblical speaking in tongues is. So people add to it. They add to it. Listen, Baptists can add to it. You say, how? Well, I'm getting ready to deal with the word. There's a, a popular term that is often misconstrued and misunderstood. And that term is repent or repentance. The word repent means to turn. You ready? To go one direction, be going one direction, and then to begin going another direction. Jesus. Someone who would say, well, repentance isn't in the Bible, uh, read the Gospels. <laughs> John the Baptist said it. Jesus said it. It's, it's in Scripture. The problem, the problem is understanding what it is and what it isn't. Faith and repentance are a part of the same coin. When you put, are you ready for this? Oh, this makes me so happy. <laughs> hey, watch this. Are you ready? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know what you did? Watch. You turned to him. <laughs> I understand I'm simplifying this, but this is really fun. It doesn't need to be complicated. Uh, ben, can you read Acts 20, 21? And I want, read it, read it methodically. And please follow along and make sure you understand the terminology here. Jesus said repent. You know what the context of, of repentance is? It is towards. It is turning to. Here's the deal. Now, look, whatever you think about this word... Here's the deal. You weren't born knowing Jesus Christ. Your family may have known about him, but you didn't know about him. 
You know what you had to do? You had to come to knowledge of and faith in. And when you did, this is what happened. You turned to him and you put your faith in him. Now, here's, here's where people get off on repentance. They teach that repentance is a work that we do in order to be saved. And you, and you hear things like this. Well, you better repent of your sins. Well, if you mean by that, I need to turn to Jesus Christ, then I'm good with it. But if you mean that I have to stop sinning in order for Jesus to save me, that is not in the Bible. Not there even a little bit. Again, I love this. Acts 16, 31. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, you need to stop being a Roman, and you need to stop all the bad things you've done as a jailer, and you need to go out and do penance, we start, we start sounding like other religions instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, someone, someone walks into this sanctuary, or I'm out there talking to someone, and they're like, I need hope. I need to know Jesus Christ. You, you must. You must understand that you're a sinner. But God doesn't tell you anywhere that you have to stop all those sins in order for him to save you. He says, put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then this is amazing. You know what happens when you trust in Jesus he begins to change you. Repentance gets, repentance gets portrayed as something that we do to clean ourselves up to God. Okay, I've stopped doing all of that. Now God saves me. God doesn't save you because of anything you stop doing. Come on, somebody say amen to me to make sure you're on board with this. Somebody, somebody walks in here all, all obviously bearing the marks of a life of sinfulness. God doesn't save them because they stop living a life of sinfulness. He saves them because Jesus bore the penalty for their sinfulness on the cross. And so I, I, don't, I don't use the word repent that often. Here's another case to be made, and that's this. You don't stop repenting after you get saved. <laughs> so what do you mean? My children have to repent towards me all the time. You know what that means? That means occasionally, some more than others, they start going ways they shouldn't go. And I got to come alongside and they've got to turn. I'm like, hey, son, daughter, I need you to turn your heart back to me. I need you to understand what the expectation is and why, and I need you to turn back to me. Wait, people, people, people have levied, preachers have levied such almost this spiritual taxation upon getting saved, it's like you have to be something different in order to get saved. No, you get saved and then God begins to make you something different. And this, this whole idea, and this is another term that gets abused, this whole idea of legalism. Look, I'm, I'm not a legalist because I believe God has expectations. Legalism is when you believe that you work for your salvation. And that is the way repentance, that repentance in the Bible gets portrayed. Well, I've got to do all these things in order for Jesus to save me. No, you believe in Jesus. Okay, is that making sense? All right. Faith. <laughs> you know what faith does? It turns me to Jesus. That's <laughs> what it is. And then he leads you into righteousness. That's how we add, that's how we complicate it. Someone comes in here and they know nothing about God. And like, I just, I need to have hope. I need to know. I, I, need, I need someone to save me. 
I'm going to deal with the other aspect of this in a minute, but we're going to tell them the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And we're not going to add anything to that. I don't care about your dress code. I don't care about your habits. I don't care about anything else right now. What you need is to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the moment you trust in him, you are a child of God. I heard, I heard Brother Hetzer at a college conference when I was the college director in Oklahoma. He was preaching at a college conference that I'd taken our class to. And he made this statement. And independent Baptist churches can be really bad about this. Someone gets saved and here come all these rules. And he made that motion. Here come the rules. How about you just teach them to know Jesus and to love him? And Jesus does a really good job changing people. You say, well, pastor, you have expectations and standards for leadership and all of these things. Right, but we bring people along on those. It's never about getting saved and knowing God. And there's always clear explanation given for why we do things the way that we do. Yeah, somebody ought to say amen to that because that's true as well. All right, don't complicate it. You say, well, what if they're... <laughs> okay, I, I just can't get off this point, man. You say... Someone, someone comes in that is what you would call normal. They're just not saved. You know what you don't do? You don't, you don't say, hey, what weird things are you guilty of? You just say, hey, trust in Jesus. You know, culture is significantly different. And there are people that you would consider weird and doing things the Bible condemns. You know what your approach to people who are obviously different than you should be? They need Jesus. And he will help them, and he will lead them, and he will teach them. Okay, don't make it complicated. Number two, don't make it shallow. Some people make the gospel cheap, like it's a sales pitch. Hey, say this prayer and you're all good. Just, hey, hey as long as you're sincere, it's fine. And here's the evidence that there is no, that, that we are making it shallow. You ready? There's no mention of sin. Why do people need to, okay, wait. wait. I'm not conflicting what I just said. Why do I need to get saved if I'm not a sinner? Um, I, <laughs> my kids laughed the first time they flew. It's like, they're, past, they're telling us where the life jackets are under the seat, and we're flying over Nebraska. <laughs> I mean, um, why do I need this if the plane's going down? Like, sit on it, maybe it'll cushion the blow or something? Okay, so why do you need something if you're not in a situation where it's relevant? Why do you need to be saved if you're not a sinner? You know what the answer is? You don't. You don't. And yet there are movements and works and churches out there trying to get people to believe in something without ever understanding why they need to believe in him. And you're not sa you, you aren't really saved if you don't understand that you are a sinner separated from God and you can do nothing to save yourself. You just say some kind of prayer to somebody and you're like, yeah, that felt good. No, no, no. J Jesus is your only hope. And I'm not talking about you stop sinning or you change anything. I, you do have to recognize I am a sinner and I have to turn to him. I have to put my faith in him alone. Oh, a very popular guy, Mr. Osteen. Um, he, did an, he did an interview in 2005 
with Larry King, who is also a great bastion of the gospel. And in his interview, Mr. Osteen said that he's not sure what happens to people who reject Christ. You're pastoring a church of like 20, 30,000, and, and you're claiming to know the word of God, and you're not, you're not sure what the Bible says about that. King followed up with the question about Jews, Muslims, and other non-Christians. And Mr. King said this, they're wrong, aren't they? Mr. Osteen replied, well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches, and from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. I spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God. They, they believe in like a multiplicity of gods. And I don't, I don't know. I've seen their sincerity. So I don't know. You notice how many times he says, I don't know. Jesus told us what we needed to know. So I know for me and what the Bible teaches, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. He, he said in other interviews and writings, he's failed to proclaim that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He was being interviewed by Oprah. And Oprah asked him this, are there many ways to God? And he said, for me, Jesus is the only way to God, but... There are many ways to Jesus. What does that mean? He refuses to consistently, he even talks about, I've never really thought about it, but I don't, I don't usually mention the word sin. Well, the Bible does. Let me read you this statement. Listening to Osteen, a person would think God primarily wants to make poor people wealthy, sad people happy, and insecure people self-confident. But according to the Bible, God primarily wants to make dead people live, wicked people righteous, and his enemies his friends. Happiness, self-assurance, and eternal prosperity, according to the Bible, come as a result of submission to God's will, starting with salvation. And always in the context of his will. Oh, you say, well, we're not, we're not that extreme. Right. But sometimes we try to present Jesus without presenting why people need Jesus Christ. And here's what we do. We categorize how bad sinners are. Okay, wait, wait, wait. You voted for my guy. Um, you, uh, you're in my neighborhood. You got a normal family, working a good job, all that stuff. Man, I... Man, have you ever trusted in Jesus? Oh, yeah, man, me and God are tight. That's great. That's great. Someone who lives an alternate lifestyle, who didn't vote for your guy. Man, you're a wicked reprobate. I believe in God. You don't understand God. Make it really shallow over here. People aren't saved because of their politics, brothers and sisters. And we don't need to have a different standard for people because we agree or don't agree with them. Here's the standard. We, oh no, wait, let me just quote the verse. For all have, here's this word people are afraid of, sinned and come short of the glory of God. I understand it's not comfortable, but standing before God guilty 
with no salvation is way less comfortable than telling people, you know, you're a sinner. Okay, and obviously that leads to what? By whose standard? And, that, and we'll transition into this, but that's, that's not when you drop a hammer on people to make them feel like they're inferior to you. You show them how that we have all come short of God's standard. All right, there's lots of ways you can do this. I want to share one with you and, and wrap up this point, and we'll be finished for tonight. One of the, uh, I was talking to Ben, one of the ways that he talks to people is he, he brings up, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but you bring up the, the law and the, the, the Ten Commandments. And you talk about, okay, so the Ten Commandments say thou shalt, and it lists these things. Okay, anybody that has an ounce of sincerity in them, they say, yeah, I probably lied somewhere. Okay, here's a great one for men when I'm talking to men. Um, have you ever committed adultery? No. Okay, here's what Jesus said. If you've lusted after a woman, you've committed sin in your heart. Have you ever done that? Well, that just got awkward. <laughs> okay, don't get weird on me. Come on. Everybody's a sinner. Stop acting. See, this is the problem. We act like everybody's not a sinner. I don't care what it is. Everybody is a sinner. And so then I, I, love, the, I love the picture of a dartboard. So many people can see, have seen one. There is a perfect bullseye. You have a bullseye, but then you have the perfect bullseye. And here's what people most of the time are willing to admit. I'm not a perfect bullseye. And this is what I say in response to that. Neither am I. <laughs> in fact, I'm not even on the board. People are like, I'm at least a five. I'm like, I'm dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, we took the staff. <laughs> we took, took this out on the, on the staff planning trip, and they had a dartboard in there. And me and Brother Fiavi were in there, and I'm like, man, forget accuracy. I'm going to launch this thing like it's a missile shoom, right into the wall. And at first I was kind of like, oh, this is bad. But then I got up close, and it was obvious that that wall was for catching darts because there were dart holes all over that wall. Here's the truth about all of us. We don't, it's not that we missed the 100. We missed the, we missed the board completely. It's got to help people understand that. And, and, it, and it will help if you will think through, number one, how does the Bible define sin? How does the Bible define it? It's any commandment that violates God's law. Think of practical illustrations like a dartboard. And, and then don't put people in a category you are not. Okay, I, just, I need to go ahead and say this, and I, I don't want to make it all about this all the time. But there are sins that we have a tendency to put in a different category than we do other sins. I understand different sins have different physical consequences. But any sin is bad enough that Jesus had to die and that we need to be saved. And so this, this, don't, don't approach people with this attitude like, well, you're over here in this category and I just don't know. Hey, Jesus knows. He died for him. Just give him the gospel and see what happens. So make sure you recognize that we're all sinners. Don't complicate the gospel. Don't complicate it. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You ready? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. People are going to have questions about that. Are you ready? Why do I need to believe in him? Here's the answer to that. You're a sinner because your life misses the mark. I'm not really that bad. Can I ask your wife? I don't know. I mean, I mean there's ways to, to handle this. But you bring it back around to that world, do not make the gospel shallow. 
Look, I don't, I don't mean to be, I'm not, it's not that I don't mean, I'm not being disrespectful. If we aren't sinners, then it was a waste for Jesus to suffer on that cross. So don't you dare, don't you dare sell his or minimalize his sacrifice when he died for people's sin and we're just uncomfortable bringing up sin and so we just kind of pass over it. No, he paid a great price to get rid of it. So you, you are not doing anybody favors by not bringing it up. Just, just don't alienate them because of it. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. And Jesus saved me and he can save you too. All right. Don't complicate it. Don't make it shallow. Uh, next week, we will get to this point, have a plan, and it would be good to go through that section and to start working on memorizing some verses. And uh, I'm not sure we'll do it next week, but we are getting close. We're going to begin practicing up here. I'm going to have people come up, and uh, I'm just, and, and to make it simple, um, we'll stick to what is presented in the book, and there will times when I might, there will be times when I might deviate from that, but I'll try to give you advance warning about that. But work on the have a plan section. Let's all stand together. All right. Miss Jessica is making her way to the piano. Uh, don't forget, uh, check out the things that are coming up in the, in the prayer bulletin. And then um, this, this, excuse me, this Sunday night we have some, praise the Lord, we have uh, some things going on. And so be, be aware of those and ready for those. If you obviously, um, from what we talked about, if you have any questions, you can talk to the trustees or to myself it, as we go through this process. And then make sure on, on, this, on this outreach material, take it personally, that you understand it's only going to be as productive as you allow it to be in your life. So take it home, study it, work at it. Brother Nate, you go ahead and come. Guests, it's great to have you with us, everybody watching online and those that are here. Sure, appreciate you. Love you. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. We'll look forward to seeing you on Sunday. All right, let's close out with the chorus of Nothing But the Blood.